David may escape Saul, but he never escapes the shelter of the Most High God. Father, we thank you for the riches of your word. And we ask that you'd help us now by your spirit to understand them and to apply the lessons to our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen. Please take a seat and turn to 1 Samuel 23 on page 245. So what's going on as we come to this chapter, 1 Samuel 23. David's still on the run from Saul. His life is always at risk, says verse 14. Saul sought him every day. It was relentless. And he's also betrayed by those he saves at Cala, as we shall see. The persecution of God's elect king continues. And on this Palm Sunday, there are things here which remind us of what Jesus would go through as he entered Jerusalem to die for you and for me. Welcomed as a savior and then handed over to be crucified by the crowd. Betrayal. Desertion. God's chosen king, hunted by the leaders of the day. And these were desolate and trying times for David. And there was hardly anyone he could trust. Now, we may not be King David, but perhaps we too are facing a degree of persecution at home, school, university, or work. One person was telling me the other day that after 13 years he'd finally decided to stand up and be counted for Jesus Christ by not getting dragged in to the wrong practices of his work colleagues. It wasn't easy, but it was right. The way of the cross is not easy. Or perhaps we're going through desolate and trying times for other reasons. Times which can be lonely and painful. Christian ministry can sometimes be lonely and painful. And perhaps we're asking, does God provide in such times so we can persevere? Does he really? And if so, why does it seem sometimes to take so long? Well, the question, does God provide in such times, is both asked and answered by this passage. And the answer in Scripture is yes. God does provide. Yes, it can involve waiting. But God's timing is perfect, as this passage makes clear. Psalm 54 also reveals that God provided for David at this point in his life. In verse 4 of that psalm, David can say, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. So what resources does God make available to his servants in times of continuing trial? How does he provide in such times? Well, first, there's divine access, verses 1 
to 13. Have a look at verse 1. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Kayla and are robbing the threshing floors. There was, as we say in Yorkshire, trouble at mill. <laughs> Kayla was under threat from the Philistines. Now David's willing to counter that Philistine menace. But the question is how? It seems impossible. So what does David do? What's the first thing David does? What's the first thing we do when faced with a difficulty or an impossible situation? Does he ask his men for advice first? No. First, he asks direction from God. Look at verses 2 through 5. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Caleb. But David's men said to him, Behold, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Caleb against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Caleb, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Caleb and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Caleb. God tells David that he would have success against the Philistines. David's men are not so sure. A direct hit on the Philistines? Is that wise? So David goes back to God, but there's no mistake. They would win, and they do, verse 5, just as God had promised. So how could David get such clear guidance? Well, verse 6 is key to this section. It highlights how both Caleb was saved and how David and his men were saved. Look at verse 6. When Abiathar, the son of Amalek, had fled to, Kale, to, front to David to Kayla, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Everything hinges on Abiathar and the ephod. By such guidance, David has success in both his attack and now in his escape from Saul. Look at verse 9. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then said David, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Caleb to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Caleb surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Caleb surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. So verses 2 to 12 tell of God's guidance or ephod guidance. What is ephod guidance? Some of you are asking. Well, the ephod here is the high, high priestly ephod bearing the breastpiece of judgment and the Urim and the Thummim through which the Lord's will could be determined. David asked God two specific questions and receives two affirmative answers in verses 9 to 12. David didn't need to ask any more questions. He knew what to do. Look at verses 13 and 14. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Caleb, and they went wherever they could go. 
When Saul was told that David had escaped from Calah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. Saul, in verse 7, thought that God had given David into his hand, but God had not. Verse 14 makes that very clear. You see, in contrast to Saul, David has direct access to God and God's guidance through the appointed priest, Abiathar. Now, you might be thinking, well, I see all that, and it's all very nice, but I don't always receive this kind of precise, direct guidance that David did. Well, neither do I. Why? Because we don't need it in exactly the same way David did. None of us is the chosen king. No. And David's role is far more crucial than ours in what you might call salvation history. David's preservation more key than mine or yours. What was essential for God's elect king to have, he received. But of course, in principle, there's no difference between this elect king and us. You see, in what context was God's guidance given here in 1 Samuel? Was it not in access to God through the appointed priest? And isn't that the privilege you and I enjoy? Through a much greater one than Abiathar? What, after all, does Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16 mean? Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Since we have a great high priest, we can come to the throne of grace and find grace for help at just the right time. Surely knowing whether Saul will come down to Cala can't be any better than that. Secondly, there's here divine encouragement. Look at verses 14 to 18. And we all need divine encouragement, don't we? The Christian life is blessed, but it's not always easy. Ministry can be hard. And we get things wrong, and we mess up. So we all need divine encouragement, whether through His Word, and by His Spirit, or through His people. And here David was being preserved from Saul by God in the wilderness of Ziph. Look at verse 14 again. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph, and Saul sought him every day. But God did not give him into his hand. Note that God is in sovereign control of David's destiny. And we too can trust God's sovereignty. He really is in control. David may escape Saul, but he never escapes the shelter of the Most High God. Saul sought him constantly 
but God did not give him into his hand. And very encouraging for David, his friend and Saul's son, Jonathan, did find him, even if his father did not. Look at verse 16, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh, and note, strengthened his hand in God. God provided for David a great encouragement in Jonathan. Why? Because Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God. He put David's hand into God's hand. How? Chiefly by what he says in verse 17, where he reaffirms God's promise to David. Look at that verse. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. You see, Jonathan's presence would have been a great comfort and a great refreshment to David. And Christian friendship is so important, isn't it? Drawing alongside those in need to comfort them with God's comfort is so important. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in, in any affliction with the comfort which we have ourselves received by God. God the Father is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. How does God's comfort get passed on? Well, usually through those who've experienced it for themselves. You see, our troubles and our comfort are for a purpose. After all, all sunshine makes a desert. It's the difference between a Houston experience and a crew experience. Let me explain that. Houston Station in London is a terminus. Crew station is a junction. We're not to be Houston's, but crews, so to speak. Meaning that we're not to be the terminus of all the comfort God, uh, God wants to bring us. Yes, part of its destination is us. But we're also to be comfort junctions. Sharing and passing on the comfort that we've known. So often God takes our suffering and uses it for good. Our experience can help others as well as building up our own faith. Perhaps you feel you've had your fair share of pressure and suffering. Well, God wants to use you to help others. He wants you to be a junction and not a terminus. So let's be aware of those in this fellowship who are in need of God's comfort and draw alongside and importantly, encourage them from God's Word with the knowledge that God is alongside them. You see, while our presence is important, it doesn't have the abiding encouragement that God's sure Word does. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 reminds us that God does care. Indeed, the word comfort literally means called alongside. God's comfort is real. His presence is is real. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. He really is close 
to the brokenhearted. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 reminds us not only of God's comfort, but also of one reason why we go through such trials. You see, it's not only that we might help others, but also that we might depend more and more upon the Lord. Have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 8 to 11 on the screen. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Troubles can increase our faith, and God will deliver us. So reading God's Word is so important. You see, we best encourage not by being cuddly with people, but by reminding them of the promises of God. Encouragement from God for the people of God comes from the Word of God. Solid, lasting encouragement does not come from emotional closeness, but from God's Word. And that was true for David here in verse 17. God keeps His promises. We can trust Him. And again, we see God's great timing in providing this encouragement Without Jonathan's ministry, would the Siphite betrayal of verses 19 to 24 have been more than David could have borne? Would their treachery right on the heels of the disillusionment in Cala have proven too much for them? And here there's a shadow of a greater than Jonathan. Jesus, our friend. Andrew Bonner, the Scottish preacher, once wrote, spent an hour in my old retreat, in what I call the wood of Ziph, where God has often strengthened my hands, my divine Jonathan meeting me there. Jonathan Edwards, the preacher, longed for the same divine Jonathan when on his deathbed. He asked, now where is Jesus of Nazareth, my true and never-failing friend? And it was this friendship of the Lord that Paul cherished when others left him. Paul writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 to 17. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Here in verse 18, it was the last time David and Jonathan ever saw each other. Have a look at that verse. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. So there's a solemn note here. But Jonathan had accomplished his mission. He'd strengthened David's hand in God. 
that Jonathan is not the ultimate presence David needs. Ultimately, he and we need the Lord. So thirdly, divine providence, verses 19 to 28. And here God grants displays of his providence to David in the face of a near betrayal. The Ziphites disclose David's location to Saul, who then hunts David. Have a look at verse 25. You see, this is a real, real nail-biter. Who says the Old Testament is boring? And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. And the tension becomes absolutely unbearable in verse 26. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men were closing in on David and his man to capture them. But then, just at the right time, a messenger came. Verses 27 to 28. A messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore that place was called the Rock of Escape. And there's, of course, a delightful irony here. The Philistines become David's personal savior. And if we read this with the eye of faith, we can marvel at God's timing and rejoice that even the Philistines can be pressed into the Lord's service. So do you see, verses 19 to 28 teaches what providence means the strange ways God works to keep his people on their feet. But is this providence for David only? No, surely we have our own stories to tell about God's strange saviors and timings in our lives and times. God is working his purposes out. Now I must conclude. As I do so, let's remind ourselves what David himself learned from his experience in Ziph from Psalm 54. First, that we need to look to God. He's in control and he is trustworthy. And David writes in verses 1 and 4, O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. Rather like the persecutions or trials we face, Saul isn't yet gone for good. David's distress isn't over. But the Lord upholds us and gives us the resources and the promises we need in the middle of our trials so we can withstand the pressure of them. So God does answer prayer. Look at verse 2 of Psalm 54. Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. Justice will be done in the end. Verse 5, he'll return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. And through faith in Christ, he has delivered us. He does deliver us. And he will deliver us. And his timing is perfect. 
And in response, we aim to praise Him with our lips and our lives. Verses 6 and 7 of Psalm 54, with a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For He has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Let's pray together. And in the silence, let's respond to God's word ourselves. Let's bring our prayers to him now, to the throne of grace. Perhaps we're going through times of great trial, and we need to bring that to the Lord. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. 